I live in the weak and the wounded. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. They will say that I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for, if not for shedding? She just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? Hello? How do you know my name? I didn't tell you my name. Hang up. I didn't tell him my name. They're all a part of it. They're all pods, all of them. Whatever you do, don't fall. They mostly come at night. Mostly. I'm scared to close my eyes. I'm scared to open them. What do we do? Why don't we just wait here for a little while? See what happens. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And this week on the podcast, on our second episode of Let's Scare Leslie to Death, we are going to be discussing John Carpenter's They Live. And uh, I think we were discussing a little bit before recording, we're going to be covering a couple other Carpenter films this month, um, and then some other horror films to branch out a little bit for Leslie, but we kind of went on a Carpenter binge, and who better to introduce Leslie to horror than I think John Carpenter. But um, before we really dive into it, we'll just talk a little bit about the film. If you're not familiar with it, it's, um, the basis of it is a drifter discovers a pair of sunglasses that allow him to wake up to the fact that aliens have taken over the Earth. And uh, just to give a little warning, because we try to stay apolitical on the podcast, you know, try not to get too into that and, you know, depending on how, if if you're on one side of the spectrum or on the other side of the spectrum, we don't really want to upset anyone, but it's kind of hard not to talk and get a little political, I think, with this film. Um, but with that said, we're going to go ahead and play the trailer for you and then let Leslie take over. What do these things want, and why are they here? You still don't get it, do you, boy? They have recruited the rich and the powerful. They're running the whole show. Wake up! They're all about you, all around you. Blinded us to the truth! Take a look. They are safe, as long as they are not discovered. I don't know what they are or where they came from, but we gotta stop them. Stay away from me. Put these on. They have us. Look at them, they're everywhere! We have no other choice. I don't like this one bit. Leave it alone, man. It ain't none of my business. Ain't none of yours. We have been lulled into a trance. Listen to what I'm saying to you. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. Control us! You're sending some kind of signals on TV sets. I've got one that can see. Mama don't like tattletale. Now we start spilling some blood. Let's go! Push I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick And I'm all out of bubblegum. 
All right, Leslie, take over. Okay. Um, so They Live, I felt like it was a really fun film to watch. I had a good time watching it, but I definitely didn't see horror in it really at all. Um, it's very Orwellian, so I guess if you're really focused on that sort of Orwellian 1984, you know, Big Brothers coming in and taking over the world, you could really play up the horror. But um, watching it, I just felt like it, this was a fun popcorn movie that I would, like, go see in the summer and I would have a great time with my friends. You know, I I love the 80s. Everything that, that's the 80s about it is, is pretty much everything I love about it. <laughs> you know, And especially, I love those 80s blue jeans that they all wear <laughs> that fit properly. <laughs> yeah, not, not, not those, uh, those, like, short cuts or tight cuts or whatever they all are now. Good old acid wash jeans. <laughs> yes. I love those jeans. I love the music in the background and like that nice da dun dun snap. I was putting a snap in there, you know, with, with the music. Um, I liked both of our main characters. I don't have the actors' names pulled up. Um, Roddy Piper and Keith David. Yes, I liked both of them. I, I, I loved all their interactions. I loved their fight scene. That was hilarious. That was great. So I guess, like, all in all, as a sci-fi concept for the Orwellian, I loved it. Um, as far as horror, didn't really see it. Yeah, I, I would say that um, I think it's more probably, and, and Pat, agree with me or disagree with me, um, I think it's more subtext. I, I would say, like, as a, as a genre piece, it is sci-fi, and subgenre, it's horror. Um, I think that... Uh, a lot of it is is obviously it's social commentary. The entire film, yeah. uh, much like Romero's um, Dawn of the Dead, it's a commentary on consumerism and uh, a little bit on like Reaganomics and capitalism and and stuff like that. Uh, so I think the horror is kind of coming to realize the realization that we are no longer in control of our fate. Like we are now the cattle and we're being herded and. Um, you know, taking control of. And, and I think the scariest thing about the film is that it all happened without anyone really knowing it, like for the mass population. Yeah, um, it's pretty 1984 Fahrenheit 451. Exactly. And in a, a, a similar film, uh, although I, I know I can never get you to watch it and I would never make you watch it. Uh, I, I don't know. If, have I gotten you to watch Society? Yes. Okay. Society is a very good parallel film, but completely on the other end of the spectrum. Uh, but it is very similar when it comes to the rich kind of versus the poor. Definitely. And for this, it's only as scary as you interpret it. Right. Um, and you, if you look at it as, oh, this is what's happening, and like, kind of look at it surface level and not really think about it a whole lot, it's not going to be like... Super scary. But, uh, absolutely. And it's never going to be like, oh my God, I'm terrified of this movie. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, I think the, I think the terror um, is, is definitely um, subtext. It, mm. it, is, it is contextual. And um, we were talking uh, prior to recording, like how much easier would it be to kind of blame today's woes on this secret group of aliens who were really in control of everything. Because honestly, when, when you look at kind of poli modern politics now, it feels like that's kind of the, the, the politicians we have in Congress and in, in the White House, that it feels like it's all 
they're a completely different species in that they're they're they are in the greater control and no matter what we're kind of under their thumb and have no real way out of it yeah there's a real hopelessness in the movie about that absolutely uh, there really is i mean and that i think that's where the real horror kicks in um that kind of like just even even when you get to that end and you know we didn't do a spoiler warning last week but spoilers if you haven't seen they live uh it's been around forever so i don't know how you haven't seen it but um other than leslie you know not really having <laughs> too much exposure to this genre but uh i that's that's kind of it would just be so much easier if we could just blame this uh, on this secret group of aliens who were just in charge of everything and yes, without going into other um, probably raunchier, edgier themes, uh, Pat has done a motion that uh, I can't disagree with, <laughs> but I'm not going to discuss on the podcast. Uh, but anyways, regardless of that, you can read into a lot of things with this film. The, the sunglasses are kind of the, the eyes wakening up and seeing all the subliminal messaging that's out there that we don't see. And subliminal messaging has always kind of been a thing or a concern in, in the world of consumerism that um, one of my favorite episodes of the show uh, Sliders is uh, their Christmas theme episode the only one that they ever did in the five year run of it and uh, it's kind of a mass consumerism thing where people are constantly putting themselves in debt because they, they feel the only way to show that they love somebody is to buy more things and the, the group Quinn and all of them they find out that you know it's because of the subliminal messaging that was quote-unquote, like, illegal to be doing was being sent out through um, TV signals and stuff like that. So that kind of concept of the reason that we're, we're constantly striving for more money or the next big thing, uh, you know, the PlayStation 5, which, yes, I've got pre-ordered, but, you know, it's because it's it's that next new brand new thing, and it's that, you know, capitalist... Fix glasses. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that I think it, it's... Even though this movie was made 32 years ago, it's still very relevant today. And I, I really like that about Carpenter's work. There's one scene in particular, and it's probably one of the biggest scenes in it, is the scene where he's trying to get him to put the glasses on yes. in, in the alleyway. And the first time you watch it, you're probably like, why, why doesn't he just put the goddamn glasses on? <laughs> but like, if you look into it more... It's kind of like our eyes just not are wanting to ignore. Yeah, ignore yeah. what's right in front of us. Right, and that scene just really stands out to me as like it's like five and a half minutes of oh, a guy yeah. trying to get <laughs> to put sunglasses. Well, and on. it's and it's and it's even kind of teased a little bit before that when he goes to Holly when he you know hijacks Holly's car and uh, he's trying to just simply get her to put on the glasses mm -hmm. and then. I, you know, you kind of wonder, well, she says, well, you know, no matter what, because she is a hostage, she goes, I'm going to, I'm going to see whatever you want me to see because she doesn't want to put her own life at risk. Now I have a question for both of you. Mm -hmm. Do you think Holly was already aware or do you think it was actually, she put on the glasses after he left or after she knocked him out the window and down a hill? <laughs> I feel like it was after she shoved him down the window and... Okay. Out the out the window, down the hill, which was a pretty impressive uh, shove there. <laughs> Pat, what do you think? I'd probably have to agree with that. See, I used to think that, but when I was rewatching it last night, 
I'm not quite so certain the first people she calls are the cops. Because she, she says it's Holly, and then she's discussing it. And then, no, there's another shot where then she's talking to the cops, giving her address. So I, because like, one of the things, and I think that this is a problem with the film. As much as I love it, it, it really has a, a pacing issue. Um, I will oh, say yeah, that this it is... It took about 30 minutes right. to get interesting. And I will say that this is the longest hour and a half movie that I ever watch, like every time I watch it, I feel like by the time you even get to him putting on the glasses for the first time, I've already been watching the movie for two hours. Like, and that's not a real like complaint about the movie. I, I do like how everything's set up. I like that he's a drifter. Uh, I like that he's trying to find a job and, you know, trying to improve his situation. I love his introduction to Keith David's character. Um, I like kind of the shanty town that they find and, and some of... Uh, regulars that you'll see in other Carpenter films, Peter Jason, who is the guy kind of running the um, the underground thing, he's the one who meets them at the hotel later with the sunglasses. He's also in Prince of Darkness. Uh, I know he is in... He might be in The Mouth of Madness. Actually, I th I'm pretty sure he is in The Mouth of That. Or in, in The Mouth of That. He is in the movie In The Mouth of Madness. He is also in Ghost of Mars. Um, so he's a regular. Keith David we saw last week in The Thing... Um, so there are a lot of characters and actually even the bum who is the kind of first person to sell out is actually been in a whole bunch of different horror movies and, and genre films. He's in, uh, he's the bum in Back to the Future. He's a bum in, uh, Wishmaster. He, he plays a lot of bummy characters, but, uh, he, he's a regular kind of in the genre as well, but it, it takes so long to even get into the inciting incident of him finding the glasses. And then I also will say that this is the also shortest movie, too, when it comes to pacing, because once you get to the final scene, um, everything happens too quick for me. They're all of a yeah. sudden somehow at the news station, and they're already there, and then it just, even though it does have kind of a tag ending to it a little bit with kind of the revelation to everyone once the signal is disrupted. I don't quite like the the ending with uh, Roddy's character. And so there's all this time inconsistencies, like, you know, once he's knocked out of that house, when does he finally run into uh, Keith David's character? When does Holly come to the realization and then get involved in the organization? And once they escape uh, the raid at the church, or at the second church, rather, um... Holly's already back to work like it's been three days but for us it's only been a couple minutes so like there there's weird pacing issues I find with this movie um yeah that's enough of me talking for a whole chunk who yeah, wants to say I, something there, there's definitely issues with the movie mm -hmm. but I think just the concept and it's cult classic <laughs> basically absolutely it, it, you're able to overlook the problems just because of oh, yeah. what just, it is. Just because I have issues with kind of the pacing with it, I, I still, I, I love it. And and it's and it's definitely a Carpenter film. And it's uh, the second film that we've watched of Carpenter's has been adapted from a short story. Um, so as with The Thing, this was not one that Carpenter wrote. Now, I believe with In the Mouth of Madness, or Into the Mouth of Madness, whichever title is the correct one, um... And Prince of Darkness, although in Prince of Darkness I know it says uh, Alan Quartermass, which is a character from actually the Andromeda strain, I believe. 
uh, is a kind of a pseudonym that he goes under when he writes uh, some of his own movies. I know, so I know he wrote Prince of Darkness. I'm pretty sure he wrote Into the, In the Mouth of Madness. Um, I think those are kind of more of his his better films when he's actually involved in the writing. And Leslie mentioned the score. This is one where he did the score on it, and he uh, he's great with his scores. Just go back to Halloween. Uh, this, uh, I don't think he did the score for Thing. He did do the score for Prince of Darkness. So a lot of those kind of bum-bum-bums that you were talking about, you'll hear in Prince of Darkness when we watch that. Well, um, and I kind of felt like uh, it was repetitive throughout the movie, but that was kind of the point. Yes. To have that same, like, few notes or whatever continuing. Because at first I was like, is this song ever going to end? And then I started <laughs> to realize that it's part of the whole like this it's the signal i'm like oh no he's getting me with the signal turn it off <laughs> absolutely and uh so yeah there as as much as there's pacing issues there are some character issues uh it's still a really very strong carpenter film um again just the fact that 32 years later it's still politically relevant i mean Look at where we're at currently with with consumerism and in the state of COVID and a pandemic where money is not easy to come by. Uh, you know the things. I would say too with the subliminal messaging. Let, look, look at all of the media and everything that you consume. I mean, people consume it through Facebook, through Twitter, through YouTube, through so many different things, through podcasts like ours. Mm-hmm. But they're constantly consuming this information and it doesn't matter if like you said before if you're on one side of the spectrum or the other or you're strictly in the middle you're constantly consuming this and it's constantly feeding either all of your thoughts and fears about the other side so everything you think and fear about one side you're constantly consuming that in your own little echo chamber and now they have us all locked up (laughs) you know in covid and so you have nothing else to do but to eat more of this you know and it really does feed that fear absolutely and and even um you know, it's funny because that, that reminds me of kind of a particular line or a scene. Uh, it's at the second church, and they're talking about trying to get people off the fence and getting more people into their movement and that they need to be doing better. It, it is kind of that right versus left uh, struggle that's continuous, even though it's the same, you know, face on the... It's it's They're on the same side of the coin, essentially. Um, you know, they're... As much as you might hate the, the the bum for selling out, he doesn't. He's not necessarily wrong. He's got a point. He's like this is, this just is what it is. Why not choose the winning side? And that's the easy way out. But it's also like, it, it is kind of like what Pat was saying with the scene in, in the alleyway with the refusal to put on the glasses, even though it's an innocuous thing to put on sunglasses. Like why would you struggle so much? But it's that sense of. We don't want to even acknowledge certain things that go on. I can, and you make a great point about the uh, the consuming thing of it, is uh, I think prior, let's see, about two years ago, I was starting to get full straight into politics. So everything I was consuming was was a podcast or, or a live stream that was straight politics. And it was politics, 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 politics. Even uh, a conversation with a coworker of ours every morning, it was politics, 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 and to some extent, it still goes on nowadays. But once you kind of just dive too much into that, much like the sun, having the sunglasses on too long, it starts it starts hurting you. It, you start getting a headache, and you have to take a break from it. I started moving away for it and from it. And once I found myself kind of 
distancing myself but not being completely unaware of what's going on in the greater spectrum of things, I found that at least once I could step away and, and just go, you know what, I'm going to step off Twitter, I'm going to step off Facebook uh, for, for the weekend, you, you get this kind of relaxation. You know, you get yeah. this sense You're of relief. You're not constantly stressing yourself out. Right. You know, the way that that uh, that media and, and uh, like you said, podcasts, movies, television shows, uh, newspaper, like news outlets, how media is is just constantly beamed to you twenty four seven is overwhelming. I my father is is very much, I think, a victim of someone who consumes too much of it and can't distance himself away as much as it would be beneficial to his own not just mental health but physical health because what good is it it's it's going to get your blood pressure rising and you're going to get upset about it but ultimately in the end you really have nothing that you can do about it which is the one thing we can at least empathize with our main characters is is that they're trying to actively wake the people up in, in the sense not not get woke but actually wake up <laughs> and, and understand that there's there is this other nefarious force that maybe we could actually um all come together and and, and try to come together as as a species in even you know not black white yellow brown just a people and i think that that's one of the greatest things that carpenter does in his films is is he never it's never about race that Keith David's character is by all means trying to be a good father and uh, a husband by going out and working and earning money to send back to his family. But you get this partnership between him and Roddy that it's, you wouldn't even know that they're black or white. If, if you weren't watching the film and you were just hearing them talk, even though Keith David has a very, as you and I both have discussed, a very terrific voice. Yeah. Um, you probably wouldn't even be able to know that they are of two different races. They never, he never uh, disparages him. He never talks down to him. Even in a fight, they're pretty much straight down the middle. They're both worn out by the end of that five-minute fight scene. I figured Roddy was supposed to come out the winner because he was the wrestler. Right. Well, and even that, like, it's, he's not, he's not fighting to win. It's not... Okay, uh, my, my goal is I'm the superior one. My goal is, hey, we have a problem, and we can only do this if we come together. And I think that that's one of the best things that um, the Carpenter does. I mean, we saw it in The Thing with, again, Keith David playing Childs uh, and kind of that ending scene regardless of whether, you're not, whether or not you think uh, McCready is the thing or Childs is the thing. It's just two guys sitting down, and they're going to see how things turn out. Like it, even even in the entire sequence with Nalls and Childs and every everyone else on the base is white. Not once did anything become about race. It was we are people and we're trying to survive this together. And I think that that's one of the greatest things that Carpenter does when with his films. Um, I feel like I've talked a lot. So anybody else got anything else they want to interject? I got a question. There? Yes. So. Their signal that's being sent through cable 54, is that like the entire world signal from right there? Because I feel like it should just be the local. So uh, I think what they, what they, because they even specifically talk about a West Coast cell being the people trying to fight out against it. Uh, I think that it was broadcasting to a satellite. So 
either it was the main signal that was broadcasting to a, a satellite that would broadcast to other satellites that would then broadcast it back down to the planet to cover up the signal. But it might have specifically been only for the West Coast. That's what um, I was wondering. Because even with all the stuff, especially the, hey, baby, what's wrong? You know, it's <laughs> just everyone that we see there is, is you know, revealed as, as them, whoever them are. And I think that that's even a great thing is that Carpenter is allowing you to kind of fill in that blank. Who are these aliens? Well, they're, they're ever whatever you want them to be. They're the politicians. They're the people in media. They're the people in just your next door neighbor. You know, it's whoever, whoever you want to fill that boogeyman in with, um, is, is kind of what he is intending with that. That? Yeah. The, uh, I had it, and I, now I you lost it. it. Yeah, <laughs> I, going going off of like the story, though, like even the the practical effects that they oh, use yeah. are are just incredible. Like I really like the like the style they used for the uh, the aliens. Yeah, yeah, I, I I like that too. I also like um, the once the glasses are on and you kind of see the subliminal messaging, like the money. This is your god, mm-hmm. like. It's even though it's just a plain like white piece of paper. I, I think that's commentary on on our our concept of cash in of itself. Is we yeah. put so much value into these pe- just pieces of paper. Like really, currency is nothing. It's just it's it's much like time. We have assigned a value to it, but it's really a non-existent thing. We we put a a number on what it what it's worth for a type of service and um so i really think that that was carpenter again being strong on commentary and even the author I, i've not read the short story i, I do kind of want to to see differences or if there were similarities like you know maybe the glasses just showed the aliens and it wasn't so much about the subliminal messaging um or maybe it was but I would really like to kind of see if that was in there or if that was a carpenter touch. Um, just much like the, a lot of things in The Thing, um, his version of The Thing, were for the most part a lot of the story was from the short story, but there were differences that Carpenter added to it, twists that he put in there. As for the, um, just like how we see everything today, like looking at the movie... And then looking at society, I feel like people today might interpret it different where they might think that, like, their side's the good guy. Right. <laughs> Whereas it's like, it's probably just everyone's shit. <laughs> Pretty much. And, and that's what I'm, when I, when I say, like, the, the drifter, he, or the, the bum, he's, you know, even though we're supposed to kind of hate him for choosing the sides of the aliens, when, when he gives his explanation, it's like, you can't really fault him, especially for him being also, you know, he was dirt poor, mm-hmm. living on the streets with everyone else. Wouldn't wouldn't you be tempted to be at, at, at a chance at a better life? Like we we we're told that they're terraforming our planet or that they're developing our planet, but we really, as the resistance cell is attributing the the. Uh, the nefarious means that that their intent is is nefarious, but then that's commentary on us going into a third world country and saying, okay, we're going to install democracy and we're going to install capitalism and and we're going to build you up and we're going to lift you out from poverty into freedom. But they don't have a say in it. 
so is it really a good thing that we're doing that or is it a bad thing like there's a lot of gray area especially and literally in this movie there's gray area um <laughs> but there's a lot of gray areas in, in it that we just don't know exactly what is what is the right side we we again we we attach ourselves to roddy and, and keith but um are they really truly the good guys maybe maybe all the aliens want to do much like uh this also reminds me of world's end um the last of the cornetto trilogy from Edgar wright like the aliens in that were just trying to bring Earth into the galactic civilization and you know universe and be good and 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 better than what they are and it's human nature to say piss off I want to do what I want to do you know <laughs> well when when he first puts on the sunglasses and is seeing the aliens and stuff walking around my first thought was like well I don't see what the issue is here because they seem to be like going around living their own normal life I see the like with all the subliminal messaging but. Specifically, when he's looking at the aliens, yeah, I'm like they're just kind of walking around doing their thing. I was like, so uh, he's freaking out. Of course, you'd freak out if you saw something like that. But I'm like, they're not doing anything any different than you and I would be doing. They're going to the grocery store and and buying magazines and whatnot. Right. That was one thing. Like that. That you know, as I was as, as I was watching it, um, and then I know Pat's got a, a point here. Um, the very first one he runs into at the newsstand, the guys buys a newspaper and even though we like we see the subliminal messaging with him with the sunglasses on like do do the aliens see it like or are they reading what we read and if so like why why would they consume that type of media as well if if it was just the same thing like you know maybe there's something within the own alien species where the leaders are are subverting their own people and keeping them as cattle as well. Like, there, there's a lot of just uncertainty into what, what it was. But I do love the one line when he's in the grocery store and he's telling her she looks like a molded cheese or something. And then he looks at the other like, you, you're all right. Her, nah, she's, she's bad. But, Pat, you had a point. Yeah, so when the villain is sort of kind of just consumerism, Yeah, I don't think that... From the standpoint of consumerism's bad, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think it's just over consumerism when, when you're just constantly doing it. Yeah, it's just finding that healthy balance. It's not getting the new gen phone every year. It's not. It's just use, using what you have, and then kind of like, not overdoing it right which is kind of when they when they use the allegory that we're cattle is that the the point of getting people into poverty or 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 over consumption is is essentially fattening them up for the slaughter um so well, like, it's kind of similar to like capitalism isn't bad except when it's taken to the extreme and you right. have people who are like just mega ridiculous billionaires exactly who and, and exploit the earth m- much when like, it's like capitalism in its of itself in order to exist in the world that we have to have money and you need to go make money in itself is fine. It's just when it gets taken to this crazy extreme. Well, which is something that even Keith David's character is, is comments on this. He goes, you know, the steel mill was, uh, in Detroit was, you know, it, it was having some issues. So we, you know, we liked working there. So we gave them a break. What did those guys do? They gave themselves raises, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 it's very similar to that point. You had something else? Yeah. And, 
for our society to, like, kind of exist, like, you're always going to have the super rich unless yeah. you just start slaughtering them. Well, I don't even think it's necessarily slaughtering them. It's just getting rid of the importance of currency. Uh, I mean, which is, is not something that we can easily do. It's not like tomorrow we can just be like, all right, money means nothing now. You can go out and just grab a house for free and live there for free. Even going to a barter system, you're still assigning a value to a specific specific item. goods or yeah. service. And yeah, so I kind of think of it more cuz I know that you've watched like DS9, let's think mm. about Deep Space 9. You know, start of the Federation technically doesn't have any currency, but there's also that gold press latinum yep. that they use and they kind of barter things. So in in my vision, it's kind of like the base levels everybody's taking care of. But if you want more than that, you can go out and get more than that. But people are going to judge you if you're, you know, like this, so any one of the weird random characters that came in to any right. of the series that were super rich. Like the guy who just wanted to buy data because he was an android. Right. You know, things like that. Like there's always going to be that kind of that level of super crazy weirdo. But then there's going to just be the other people who are like, maybe Jadzia is playing a game. You know, with Quark, and she gets a few extra piece bars of gold press latinum, and she buys something. You know, but not. I don't, I don't think I'm thinking about like anybody who's rich. I'm thinking about like the top one percent of the top one percent. Right. It just reminded me of the uh, the South Park episode, the Pine Pinewood Derby episode. You have to remind me. So basically, stands dead or or Rand, Randy basically, like, attaches that molecule that he stole to the Pinewood Derby car and oh, goes yeah. into space. And then it's, like, a test to see if they're going to, going to like, make it into the whatever. Well, it's much as, just also much as, like, Randy's responsible for COVID and the pandemic special. Yeah, and, and the, basically they're, like... We're gonna give you this amount of space cash, but the space cash is like only once. Right, it's like it's the like value on it. shroop bucks. You know, <laughs> it's like what was one shroop buck was worth like one one thousandth of a penny or something like that, and you know, it's there. W- it would be great if we could live in a society without having to need the importance of money. People just much like well, our employers have found out from us working at home. We can do our jobs without being literally supervised in a cubicle for eight hours a day. We show up, we do our job, we get paid. If there was a way we could do that with goods and services, it would be fantastic, but there's really kind of no way to do it. So that's really where it kind of all comes down to in, in the grand scheme of things. And I think, again, they live... I've said it several times already. It, it is so prevalent to today that this movie, even though it's 32 years old, it's just, it, it looks like it's today. It acts like it's today. You could, you know, take kids, teenagers now to see it, and they can read almost the same messages that were sent back in the 80s and apply it to today. And as you said, like, some bands have been doing it, and but they've been kind of twisting it for their own means. I kind of like the the fact that um, a band, a synthwave band I really like, Gunship, they did a music video where they had fans submit like little short clips of their favorite 80s moments. And some people did the whole uh, putting on the glasses for the first time and seeing Obey. But then instead of Obey, they I think they put Gunship in there or something like that. So it was, it was a really cool thing. But it, it is 
one of these movies that I think will stand the test of time, much like uh, Citizen Kane still being really kind of prevalent about media today as much as it was when it was made. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of, of other films that just kind of stand the test of time, um, that being one of them and this being one of them. It's just one of those movies I don't think is ever going to lose its relevance in society. It's probably one of the top three cult classics. I'm, I'm not even sure I, I, if it's really a cult classic or if it's a classic. Um, I, I don't quite know how it did in, in theaters. 13 million. Uh, on a budget of... Uh, 3 million. So that's, that's pretty good. Actually, budget of 4 million. Uh, it's opening weekend. It made that budget back. And then its worldwide gross was 13 mil. So that, to me, is not a flop. That is one that does successful. So I'd say it's probably, of the Carpenter films, it's probably one of the few that's a mainstream success. Because I, I think we talked about it last week, or we talked about it off, off uh, mic. Uh, the Thing was, was a flop that has become mm-hmm. pretty much a cult classic now. And also warranted a remake. <laughs> well, it wasn't a remake. It was a prequel. Same thing. Nah, it's not the same thing. That's like saying that the prequels of Star Wars were the same thing as the original trilogy. It's like saying the Disney what was trilogy. The na- what was the name of it? Well, it's called The Thing. <laughs> but, I mean, you, what are we going to call it? The Thing Before The Thing? Pre-Thing. The, the Norwegians? <laughs> Pre-Thing. Pre-Thing? Yeah, that's a movie that's going to make hella box office. <laughs> no, it's not. I think so. I would have watched it. Are you drunk now? Is that, uh, is that really coffee in there? Maybe. Oh, it's Irish coffee, then. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, like a little... All Baileys right. to get the morning going. Hey, I was down at Kroger. They had some Baileys down there this morning. I, I didn't pick any up, though. Um, anybody else got anything else that they want to discuss about this movie? Any other aspect uh, to it? I feel like I've dominated the conversation, so I'm willing to kind of turn it over. I feel like it's one that we could just talk about in circles for hours. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, how many times am I going to say it's relevant to today? <laughs> Leslie, I, I know you had you had a few questions. I think I don't know if we answered all of them or if you have any more. Um, no, the only other question I have right now would be: Has anybody like gone and you know conspiracy theorist and put the movies like first it's this movie and then it's this one and then it's this one and it's the same alien all the way through or things like that? You know, like from the thing to they live. To- oh no, I don't think so. I don't think that there have been any direct comparisons, much like uh, we were talking about with the other two films we're going to discuss, the Apocalypse Trilogy. It starts with The Thing, um, and then it, it goes uh, with uh, Prince of Darkness and then In the Mouth of Madness. And um, they really aren't directly related, uh, other than the fact that they live, and I'm pretty sure Prince of Darkness both take place in Los Angeles, or at least they both take place in California. But I did kind of pick up on one thing, although the the later dialogue in it kind of destroyed my thought process, because I I was kind of thinking along the lines of how cool would this be if it were connected to the thing, and um, I believe it's the bomb he who even says like, oh, I heard about somewhere up north or um, that that they dealt with something up there and uh, and that it was it was crazy, but then something further along in the discussion kind of debunked my thought that they were referencing the thing. It might have been a slight, like, minuscule reference just with the up north and people up there 
But later on in that conversation... They were in Antarctica. Well, (laughs) but regardless, it it felt like it was kind of like a small, small reference to it. But other than that, I don't think that there's any... Anybody's made any direct correlation because... The, the the aliens in this don't need to assimilate. Like they've got that signal that kind of covers up their their uh, what they look like. Now, could it be in the same universe? It's quite possible. Maybe it's two different alien species in in kind of the same Carpenter verse. Now we get the Carpenter cinematic universe. You know, <laughs> um, but I, I yeah, and I would say in the mouth of madness doesn't deal with aliens as much as it's more supernatural. Um, more cosmic horror in the sense of H.P. Lovecraft. So, um, yeah, uh, that's about all I've got to say about it if we want to move in the scores unless anybody's got anything else. No, I'm good. Yeah. Leslie, why don't you go ahead and lead us off on the score? Um, okay, so as far as, like I said, science fiction, blah, 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 I did enjoy the thing better, and I think I gave that a three and a half, so mm-hmm. I'm going to give They Live a three because I did like the thing better than this one. Okay. Pat? I'm going to go with a solid four. All right. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna split the difference on you. I'm going to be a three and a half. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, as much as I love this uh, Carpenter film, what really, what really hurts it for me again is the pacing because I remember – catching snippets of it here and there as a kid on sci-fi whenever it would be on like a Saturday afternoon and I would either catch it right when he's finding the glasses and and or I'd catch it right at the end where he's going in and going through the tv station and then once I finally kind of watched it in its entirety it just feels like it's a for an hour and a half film I feel like I'm sitting there for two and a half hours it just really that's what hurts it for me and again I don't quite like the ending not so much the post-ending, but uh, I don't like how Keith David's character is easily, you know, killed. And then, as much as I like kind of the the final standoff with Holly and uh, Roddy, I, I, I don't quite like how that goes either. I don't like the quick, well, she was normal, but now she's with them, and, and then she kind of is, conspir- you know, a conspiracy with the aliens, kills Keith's character, shoots... Uh, well, shoots or doesn't shoot Roddy, but he shoots her. He takes out the thing. Then, um, you know, he gets shot and basically dies as the signal is killed. Then we get the kind of the post thing with everybody kind of finally seeing the aliens. I, I just don't quite... It, it's not as strong, as strong of an ending as, I say, The Thing has or some other uh, Halloween. I, I, you know, those are the two strongest ending Carpenter films for me. And, like I said... With all those grievances on the ending, like yeah. I'm, I'm just able to overlook it, just because yeah. it is just a fun. Oh, absolutely, a fun dystopian film. Yes, <laughs> uh, and I would agree with too. Like, those are just the direct criticisms I have of it, but I can still enjoy the movie for what it is. Uh, and that's kind of again, like the point of the podcast being like, I can point out the flaws, but I can still enjoy the movie. Um, we were talking before recording the new Adam Sandler movies out on Netflix, Hubie Halloween. I watched it last night. Is it the most amazing movie ever? Absolutely not. But is it cute? It is. Like, I, I chuckled. I laughed. I, I didn't take it too seriously. And I think like if you're going into an Adam Sandler film and taking it serious, you've got a problem. Um, you know, it, it's that movie is more of a mix of um, of uh, what it, a Happy Gilmore and uh, Waterboy. 
just like there there are there are bits of both from that movie that you know from those movies that make it into that movie and it just it's cute it's enjoyable it's a fun hour and 40 minute watch you could watch it with your kids there's no real there's some adult humor but it's it's definitely more kid oriented and it's it's just fun so that's that's kind of like with with they live like i i might have problems with pacing i might have problems with the ending but Am I going to watch it like a thousand other times? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, just even to watch Roddy Piper go, I've come here to do two things, to chew bubble gum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubble gum. Which, I know, Leslie, you had a, a little uh, relationship with that line, but you didn't know where it came from. Yeah, that was a line, of course. Now, my dad is a minister, okay? So he would he would use a kick butt instead. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, anytime we would be joking around, like, and I'm talking, like, even as, like, a little child, I'm, like, six or seven years old or something, he would come in, he would say that line, you know, I'm here to kick butt and (laughs) chew bubble gum. And I had no idea where it came from. I just thought, you know, it's my dad being dad. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) And and then you sent me the trailer for that, and that's in the trailer. And I immediately texted my father. I'm like, what? (laughs) But he knew it from uh, Roddy being a wrestler. Okay. Had, had used it, I guess, in a wrestling match. Or and that doesn't after. surprise me. I, I kind of felt like I, I, I'm not a wrestling fan, but I, I assumed that it was a line that he used to say. Hey, you probably also remember it being paraphrased in Duke Nukem 3D. Oh, <laughs> paraphrased in, in countless other uh, forms of media, because like, a lot of people have, have used that line, uh, yeah. because it's, it's, it's just a fun line. Iconic. Like, well... Okay, Mr. I Catch Everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, well, I think that's going to do it for for our second installment of Let's Scare Leslie to Death. I don't think we've succeeded so far in scaring her to death, but uh, I hope everyone's enjoying this little series. I, I'm assuming you're kind of enjoying it branching out yeah. into a genre that you, you don't really have a whole lot of experience with. Yeah, it's good. I haven't gotten anywhere yet where I'm like, Patrick, this is a no. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might we might reach there. I, I don't think we'll reach it with Prince of Darkness, but we, in the mouth of madness, is might start kind of crossing that line a little bit. But uh, I know we also plan on uh, discussing Crimson Peak, uh, which goes more to a gothic ghost story. Uh, so nothing I don't think will be too gruesome for you on that one. And then we got some other ones. Uh, down the pipe that we're going to do House for you guys. of a Thousand Corpses. No, no. We've already said that on the podcast. We're not going to do that. Uh, in fact, I was. Um, it was reiterated by my sister-in-law that we do not show you hostile, which I, I had no intention of ever doing. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to try to take it a little easy on you, and maybe we'll get you to that point at some point. But uh, <laughs> if you guys aren't following the podcast already, like usual, you can follow us on Twitter at CriticsNTCynics. Uh, you can write into the podcast at criticsnotcynics at gmail.com. Facebook is Critics Not Cynics Podcast. Um, you can follow us on iTunes, uh, Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts. I believe we are now on Amazon Music uh, as well. So, all right. Well, we will talk to you guys next time. <laughs>